This is our last uh, message in our series, In Inescapable, uh, this morning. Uh, up to this point, we've been focusing on Jesus' authority, Jesus' rule, his power is, is inescapable. And it's unlike anyone else. His words are unlike anybody else's words. Jesus' power is unlike anybody else's power. His authority, his rule is over all uh, things. And, and we're living under his rule and authority. If you turn to page uh, 47 in your devotional, there's some questions for you to reflect on as we bring a series to a close. And we do this after every series that you would be able to write down one or two key points that stood out to you in this series, right? What are you learning? We don't want to just passively listen to God's word and like, oh, that was nice, and then leave. Like, we want God's word to, to set root inside of us. And so what are you, what are you learning about God's word? How, how did God's word help embolden your faith in Jesus? These next 12 months, we're looking for the Lord to grow us in courage and boldness. And so in light of Jesus' rule and authority, how does that change how we live? And, and then how did this series help you understand your need for Jesus? We're not looking just to get smarter. We're not trying to become more religious. God's word is designed to help us to see our need for Jesus. And so how did Matthew chapters 1 to 5 expose our need for Jesus? And the last one, what are some ways that we can share what we have learned from others? That we don't want to just receive God's word, but we want God's word to move through us into the lives of other people. That we want to be thinking, how would I explain that passage to a friend or a family member? And so we take notes accordingly so that we are learning and growing in God's word. Last Sunday we looked at Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 32 and Jesus invites us to live in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's a supernatural kingdom, it's a mystical kingdom and he says the entrance in order to enter into that kingdom we must see our need for Jesus. We must see that we are he uses language of being spiritually poor, uh, right? And that's, that's maybe uncomfortable for a, our culture in the United States to think of ourselves as being spiritually poor. We don't like to think of ourselves as being lacking in anything. Right? We like to, we're American, you know, we like to be strong and like we make things happen. And, and God's word says we enter into his kingdom by seeing that we're poor, right? That we're needy. And that's not what our culture teaches us. Right? If you want to go to the University of Texas, it's not the, the bottom of the class GPA that gets into the University of Texas. It's, it's top of the class, right? If you want to go buy that Cybertruck from Tesla, it's, it's not, you don't walk in there with pennies, like, like gold bars, I think, like, is what you need to buy those Cybertrucks, right? You've got to be the top. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. So it's different for us to think about being spiritually poor. Like even in our culture right now, it's popular to talk about privilege. Perhaps you have a, a human resources department in your corporation or you have attended a class uh, at a school in Austin or you've been on social media and you, and you hear people talking about different layers of privilege in our culture. Probably the most uh, popular subject is, is the term white privilege. 
right? I know everybody's a little nervous. Talk about white privilege in a worship service. But hang in there with me. I think it connects, right? Right? A basic, I think it connects. A basic definition of white privilege is societal privilege that benefits white-skinned people over non-white-skinned people. This is all over our media, culture, corporations right now. I actually first heard the term white privilege back in 1998, right? I was 23 years old. I was working in New York City, and I was listening to somebody talk about the culture of New York City, and they referenced white privilege. And as a 23-year-old person, I thought, that's the dumbest term I've ever heard of, because I've grown up in in an economically poor household. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, well, if I'm white, like, where did the privilege come into play? Like, I was a little confused. Like, I understand it better today in 2023, and I see how it's beneficial. But at the time, in 1998, I was convinced this is the dumbest term ever because I grew up with a single mom, right? We lived in apartments, and my mom, we would go, you ever see those banners on apartments says, like, first month's uh, rent-free? Like we, we moved every six months like to take advantage of like that first month's rent-free. Like that's how we just, we just grew up. And, and I went to school with other kids who were white, black, and Hispanic, and they were also poor. And so I wasn't quite sure like how privileged. And I wouldn't have used these words, but even at 23, I was thinking to myself, like if you really want privilege, like being wealthy, like I would much rather be non-white and wealthy. Like that would be a privilege. Like if you had money, like I thought that's going to open up doors in life. And then on top of that, and again, I didn't use these words, but I was thinking to myself, even in, at 23, I thought better than being wealthy was being beautiful. Like if you could be non-white, poor, but beautiful, like things can happen in life. Like I'm primarily where I am today because of my, my pretty privilege, right? And so... <laughs> That's good you laughed at that. I wasn't quite sure. Right. In our passage today, this is how it connects. You're like, why are we talking about this? Jesus is standing before Jewish men and women and clarifying, if you want to enter into my kingdom, heaven on earth, it has nothing to do with your privileges. Right? And in their day, like a Jewish man or woman in the first century would have absolutely believed that there was an ethnic privilege when it came to the kingdom of God. Right? If you think about it from their perspective, like they're the chosen people of God. They're children of Abraham. If anyone has a fast track right, to be able to cut to the front of the line to enter into the kingdom of God, like the first century Jewish male or woman is thinking to themselves, like it's, it's got to be Israel, right? It's got to be the chosen people of God. And that's the context for which Jesus says these words. Verse 33, Jesus says, again, You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In verse 33, we see the word again because Jesus is speaking to a people who know the scriptures. These are men and women who would have grown up in their day hearing God's word every week. Therefore, Jesus is referencing Old Testament law in verse 33, right? You have heard that said in verse 33, but then in verse 34, but I say to you, Like, you need to know, in that moment, Jesus isn't changing 
Scripture. He's not changing the Old Testament. He's not saying the Old Testament is outdated. He's not changing the Old Testament. He's clarifying the Old Testament. Right? He's clarifying the purpose of the law. The purpose from the very beginning of the law was to be a mirror. Right? Oftentimes we interpret the Bible as a challenge. Like it says, don't murder. All right, that's what I'll do. I won't murder. And if you murder, ha ha, you failed. I won, you lose. That's how we see God's word. It's not a challenge, right? The purpose of God's word is to be like a mirror. It's to expose the brokenness of our soul. When God's word says don't murder, it's exposing that our hearts want to murder. I know nobody wants to admit that on a Sunday morning, but like there's dark layers of my heart. Like there have been times like there were people that were trying to hurt my mom and like I was so angry at them and I was helpless and I couldn't stop them from hurting my mom. I couldn't protect my mom and I, I don't want, you know, I would fantasize sometimes about how I was going to blow up their house. Like, I was like, I was so angry. Like, you're hurting my mom, and I can't stop you. I said, I think I could blow up their house. I think I could stop them. I think I could get That's how dark our hearts are. Like, they're wicked. Like, they're wicked. And that's what the purpose of God's word is to expose. It's to be a mirror to show how we fall short of God's glory, to see our need for Jesus. This is the purpose of God's word from the very beginning. But over time, Israel has gotten a little cute with God's word so that in verses 34 and 35, we see that it had become normal for people to make oaths, to make promises, to make vows, and then attach cute phrases so as to know when it was okay to break those vows and when it wasn't okay to break those vows. Does that make sense? Like that's what they're talking about in verses 34 and 35, that they, they had gotten to a point of saying, well, if I say by earth, then you know, you know, by heaven's sake, like you know I'm not, there, I'm going to make a vow, but if I add the phrase by heaven's sake, you know I'm not going to do it, and they would all agree that you were, and it was just very confusing. It's very confusing. Like they would use types of language like, if you swore in God's name facing Jerusalem, then you were bound to keep that commitment. But if you swore in God's name and you weren't facing Jerusalem, eh, it's okay then, which is equivalent to an eight-year-old saying, fingers crossed, doesn't count, toes crossed, right? right? We know we do that type of stuff, don't we? We cut corners. We get really cute and creative with our words. We shade the truth. We say things like, well, you didn't ask specifically if I broke the lamp. You just asked, how did the lamp get broken? I don't know, right? You didn't ask if I broke the lamp. Yeah, that's what we do. We get really cute with our words. So that in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, no, no. You might do that kind of stuff like in the kingdom of this world, but in my kingdom... You're going to fulfill your vows to the Lord. Look at verse 36 and 37. It says, Nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. But make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond the, these is of evil origin. Like you need to understand, right? Jesus is describing 
what life looks like. And these words, he's not just inviting us to enter into his kingdom. He's describing what life looks like in his kingdom. Right? Back in verse 22, a couple of weeks ago, he's saying, like, in, like in, in the kingdoms of this world, you might not reconcile with one another, but in my kingdom, heaven on earth, we're going to reconcile. Right? Last week, we talked about sexual immorality. He says, the kingdoms of this world, you might wallow in sexual immorality and call that a good thing. He says, but in my kingdom, in heaven on earth, our relationships with sexual contact is going to be different. In verse 37, we're going to be honest with one another. We're going to follow through on what we say. We're going to, we're going to be people of our word. Why? Because we're in his kingdom. All right, we're in his kingdom. There's not a pecking order in his kingdom. Right? It's not, it's, ethnicity is not going to move you up the ranks, serving at Brown Santa, like Holly said. That's not going to move you up the ranks. Having money or being physically beautiful is not going to move you up the ranks. In his kingdom, the playing field has been leveled. <laughs> All those other things are secondary. Like we're, we're sinners in need of a Savior. We've all fallen short of God's glory. At the end of chapter 5, in verse 48, Jesus says, you're supposed to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we're not perfect, right? That, that's why in the systems of this world, I think there, there is a pecking order. But in his kingdom, we're all just sinners in need of a Savior. And so we're going we're gonna to live accordingly, right? In fact, we fall so short from being perfect, that's the whole point of the passage, that we come up with cute words and cute phrases so as to lie to one another, and we know we're lying to one another, and we just don't talk about it. And he says, that's exhausting. That's what takes place in the systems of this world. We're not going to live in that world. You're going to be new. You're going to be in Christ. You're going to be in my kingdom. That's the invitation of our passage this morning. Look at verses 38 and 39 as he keeps going. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So again, he's describing what life looks like in his kingdom. The phrase eye for an eye, that might sound archaic, but that, that was really, that was God's way of like, keeping peace. It was really an extension of mercy, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was a way to avoid retaliation because what would happen is one family member would punch another family member and then that family member has a sibling, says, you can't punch my brother, and so I'm going to stab you. And then that family member has an uncle, is like, well, you can't stab my nephew, I'm going to blow up your house. And then you can't, you know, so it just escalates, it retaliates. And, and, and it was a means of avoiding escalation. We do the same thing, like on social media, right? And, you know, somebody posts a meme, right? We post two memes, ha-ha, gotcha, Right? Somebody makes a comment, we lay out a paragraph. 
right? Somebody lays out a paragraph, and you're like, well, you're not coming to Thanksgiving, right? We cut people out of our family. Like, we're doing, like, we, it's retaliation. And verse 39 says, that's what you do in the, in, the, in the world. That's how you treat one another in the world, but in my kingdom, it's different. So in verse 39, Jesus isn't giving us a social lesson, like on how to respond at a party, and just like, oh, pardon me, sir. Here's my other cheek. You know, like, it's not a lesson on passivity. He's teaching us we're in his kingdom. It's heaven on earth, but it's not, it's not heaven. <laughs> it's, it's not full glory. Like, so what does that look like practically? How do we treat one another in his kingdom? What do we do when we offend one another in his kingdom? How are our relationships supposed to work? Because it's going to happen. We're going to say something or do something or not say something. Well, you didn't say hi. How rude. You didn't hold the door open for me. We're going to offend one another. I don't want to discourage you. It's going to happen. It might be how we talk. It might be... We raise our voice. Will you raise your voice in me? Right? It might be a, a text. How many times do we misunderstand text? You know, like, it might be something we post on social media. Like, and in those moments, like, in those moments, we, we offend one another, and something swells up inside of us. You can't talk to me like that. Oh, <laughs> What is that? That's... That's retaliation. I'm offended. There's anger. There's resentments. There's, there's my pride. You know, I'm not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> He's like, we're in his kingdom. And so what, what are we supposed to do? That's the tension. Like, okay, so how does this work? Like, look at verses 41 to 42. He keeps going. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This is complex. What are we supposed to do with this? I mean, the shirt, the shirt's the outer clothing it, the shirt was the purpose to keep off dust and dirt as they went throughout their day but the coat i mean the coat the purpose of the coat was to keep off there's no central ac in the heat right i mean that was to keep off the cold the coat was vital the coat was the bedding right the, the coat was their their means of safety and security so when jesus is saying these words i mean it would have got everybody's attention my coat? Like we have like seven coats, so it doesn't land as strong. But in their day, like my coat, that would have been their means of safety and security. And so you need to know, like Jesus is saying these words to establish a new people in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Right? This isn't for all situations. This doesn't mean you're driving down the street and you've got to start declothing yourself. Like, you know, like, <laughs> where are you going? I don't know. I just got to walk. You know, it's not, it's not just like for the rest of your life. It's just like when we're in conflict, when we're wanting to retaliate, when we're wanting eye for eye, he's reminding us we're in his kingdom. 
We're not the standard of what's right and wrong. Right? It's not, it's not about a pecking order of what ethnicity is better than another ethnicity or color of skin or financial standing or physical appearances. Right? We're, we're not the standard of what's right and wrong. We're in his kingdom. Right? We're in his, under his reign and under his rule. Right? Our culture right now is rallying around this idea of uh, intersectionality. Right, positions of power. Right? Perhaps you've been exposed to this a little bit. And they have grids to, to establish like who's had the greater offenses in life. And based on who's had the most offenses, you begin to create a grid of power. And that's the way we are to treat one another in our culture today. Look, that's fine. Like, if that's what our culture has to do, this, that's what the world has to do, what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning, he says, but in my kingdom, there's only one power, and it's Jesus. That he's the only one that has the position of power. That he's the only one that has the righteousness. Right? That everybody else has fallen short. Every ethnicity, every financial standing, every male, female, rich, poor, beautiful, not beautiful, we've all fallen short, and Jesus has come to take our sin upon himself at the cross to conquer to conquer our sin through his resurrection so that we are clothed in his righteousness. That's, that's what life is like in his kingdom. Therefore, when we offend one another in his kingdom, our offenses against one another carry little weight. That's what he's talking about in our passage. You turn the other cheek. You offend one another, it's not a big deal. Our relationships with one another are too important. The righteousness we have in Christ is what's supreme. Go the extra mile. You can't offend me. There's no pride there. I have no pride because I'm a sinner also. Does that make sense? Like the only one who has pride is Jesus. He's the only one worthy of pride. He's the one who's been offended. That all our offenses are ultimately against him. And he's taken that at the cross. Why would we retaliate? Who are we to seek vengeance? It doesn't mean we never end up in court. It doesn't mean we never push back. It doesn't mean we never speak up. It means that retaliation, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, that's already been taken at the cross. Why would we dig our heels in? Why would we say to ourselves, you can't talk to me like that? I'm not saying I've mastered this. (laughs) I'm not saying I live this. I'm saying this is the hope we have in his kingdom. It's not that our offenses don't matter. They absolutely matter. The offenses, the way we hurt one another. But in his kingdom, all of those offenses have been taken at the cross. Look at verses 43, 44, and 45. He keeps going. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Verse 44, same idea. But I say to you, he's not changing God's word. He's clarifying God's word. 
God's word is intended to be a mirror to our soul, right? That there should be a part of us. If we're honest with ourselves, when verse 40 says, 44 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're being honest with yourself, there should be a part of you that says no, right? When people hurt us, we are offended. We are bothered. There should be a deep layer soul part of us that's like, no. <laughs> that's what God's word is doing. It's exposing. It's exposing the brokenness of our soul. It's exposing the need we have for Jesus. I mean, he was talking about enemies at verse 10 and 11 in Matthew chapter 5. Remember, he, he rattled off the kingdom of God and how glorious it was. And then in verses 10 and 11, he says, well, you know, in my kingdom, you're going to be persecuted. There's going to be false accusations. He says, there's going to be insults. Like as a follower of Jesus, we're going to have enemies. He knows that. (laughs) And he's saying, love them. Pray for them. I mean, those times were mocked at work because of our faith in Jesus. Those times were excluded from invites because of our faith in Jesus because of decisions that we make for our family or for our children. Those times were mocked uh, around the table among our own family members, around the holidays. Like Jesus says our attitude is not retaliation. It's not vengeance. It's not like, talk to me, I'll never go to Thanksgiving again. Like, <laughs> no, he's calling us to love those who persecute us, to pray. I mean, if we're honest, like there should be a real part of us that's like, I don't want to do that. Because we think, well, though they don't deserve it, right? They don't, des- they don't deserve my forgiveness. It's our pride. We want to retaliate. That's what God's word is pressing in. When he calls us to love our enemies and pray for our enemies, God's word is pressing in because are we forgetting that we too were once enemies of God? That's what in in his kingdom, on earth as it is in heaven, we remember, oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, have we not hurt other people? Have we not said things? Have Have we not done offensive things? Oh, we have. We have mocked. In thought, word, and deed, we too are guilty. We too, we have done horrible things. And how does our Heavenly Father respond to us? Well, the glory of God comes. And he takes it at the cross. It's not that it's overlooked. It is accounted for. He stands in our place. He takes the punishment we deserve. He pays the price. He conquers it through the resurrection. He gives us his righteousness. And so he's calling us. Just as your heavenly father has extended forgiveness towards you in my kingdom, we're going to extend that forgiveness to others. Does that make sense? We're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for our enemies. I'll be honest with you. My heart doesn't naturally go there. I've been studying this passage all week. And I mean, for hours, I'm just like, what is that? Really? Like, enemies? Like, ugh. And like, it's easy to forget. That's why we're doing this theological training. 
Like God's word wants to teach us how we live in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You can't just sit through a 30-minute sermon on a Sunday and be like, got it. Because we're, we're living in this world. He calls us to, to be in this world, but not of this world. We're not of that kingdom, we're of this kingdom. Well, you need to saturate. We need to saturate our heart in God's word and biblical truth and biblical concepts so that we live. And so next Sunday is the deadline. You see the packets, make the commitment. We're reading books. It's five months long. Like, I can't encourage you enough to take the steps to learn what life looks like in his kingdom. Let's look at verses 46 to 48. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's what the world does, right? Well, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. He says, even tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, that's what the world does. That's what the kingdoms of this world do. Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? He says, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's not our perfection. That's the perfection that we received in Christ by grace, as a gift. He's saying life is going to be different in his kingdom. Outside his kingdom, you can have the pecking orders. right? People are going to rank you based on the color of your skin, based on your financial standing. People are going to show you certain favor in certain contexts, how you look on the outward. Like, that's what happens in the kingdoms of this world. He says, but in my kingdom, life's going to be different. In my kingdom, there's only one, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. That's why he began chapter 5 saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because we're living in his kingdom to see our need for Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve the kingdoms of this world. We mourn and grieve the brokenness of of this world. We're going to live in his kingdom. We're grieving the darkness, the brokenness that's around us. So we're living in his kingdom. We're going to be gentle because we know it's only because of Christ. We're going to hunger and thirst for his righteousness because it's only because of Christ. That's the gospel. Listen, if you've yet to trust in Jesus, I mean, believe in Jesus today. The kingdoms of this world's exhausting. There's literally charts that are teaching us how to interact with each other because we're so confused to know like to when to extend kindness and when not to. It's exhausting. He says, come and enter. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the one who conquered death. Believe in him. Trust in him today. Let's lower the lights. Let's invite our worship team to the front. But Jesus is inviting us not only to enter his kingdom, but to grow in his kingdom. And so where does the Lord have you right now? If you've yet to enter into his kingdom by grace through faith in Jesus, do so right now. And if you have, then what does it mean to grow Is it possible that you're hanging on to the offenses of others?
people in your life that you said that's unforgivable? Have you hardened your heart? God's word is inviting us, commanding us to extend forgiveness. As we prepare for the holidays, we're going to see family members. We're going to be reminded of events in our past. There's forgiveness in Jesus. He didn't want us to carry those offenses. He's already taken those offenses at the cross. He's already conquered them in the resurrection. There's forgiveness. What's our character like? Are we growing in our character in his kingdom? We say we're going to do something. Yes, yes, no, no. Where are we getting cute with our words? Where are we cutting corners? Are we shading the truth? Jesus invites us to turn from that, to live in his kingdom, to stand on his righteousness, to walk in his truth. Won't you do that? Father in heaven, I pray for that in my life. I pray you'd help me to continue to grow. Grow in forgiveness. Grow in soft hearts. Being reminded that my sin has been taken. That you poured out your your mercy and your grace into my life. Father, help me to be a godly man. Help me to be a man who walks with you. Help me to see your kingdom. To breathe in your kingdom. To live your kingdom. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name. Amen.